Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we are breaking down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants in multiple ways. You can interact with us here on the program. Give us a ring, 201-939-4513, or you can head to Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. We will certainly get your feedback as we move along the way here on the program. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app podcast platforms everywhere and at giants.com slash podcast. So on Monday's edition, Paul and I broke down an NFL.com State of the Union article on the New York Giants, which we thought had some interesting takeaways. Today, we're going to focus on an article that was written in The Athletic, which was pretty much a feature on Mike Kafka, his background, his philosophy. But Kafka brought up a lot of conversations he's had with Daniel Jones, what his philosophy is with respect to the Giants scheme. So some things that we could definitely piggyback off of and curious your reaction as well as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Because, Paul, let's start big picture perspective. One of the biggest storylines for the Giants before we even get to the players, is the scheme, right? You got a new offensive coordinator. You got a new defensive coordinator. And while we've got glimpses of it at practice during OTAs, we still haven't seen these guys with the pads on. We haven't seen preseason games. So there is a little bit of the land of the unknown surrounding the Giants. Is it going to be heavily Buffalo with Brian Dable's influence? Is it going to be more leaning towards what Kafka and Andy Reid did in Kansas City? That adds a little bit of intrigue surrounding this offense entering training camp. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that, uh, you know, when Dable came down, everybody immediately said, well, it's going to be a lot of the Buffalo stuff. But then you hear that Kafka's coming over from Kansas City, and now the questions start to be asked, well, how much of this is going to be a blend? How much influence does Kafka really have on the Giants' new playbook? And, you know, Brian Dable really hasn't answered that question, has he, Lance? No, not at all. And he shouldn't have to answer that question, right? Why would you want to tell everybody what your plans are? No, no, he really has not answered that. And the closest we've gotten to anybody uh, talking about that, I, I, I guess I guess it's probably Feliciano who, who has himself said there's a lot of Buffalo in this new offense, but he also sees the Kansas City flavor from what Kafka sure. has brought. And that's probably the only conversation or public admission that anyone on the offensive side of the ball has given to us. So it remains quite a mystery. And as you say, it makes perfect sense for the Giants to keep it a mystery. Um, but it is a question that I'm not sure we're going to really know the answer to until we're a month or so into the season. Because let's face it. Even if Dable names an offensive coordinator before opening day, and by the way, he's under no obligation to. Let's make that very clear, Lance. The writers keep pestering him about well, who's going to call plays. He doesn't have to tell them. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and it may, may turn out to be he doesn't tell anybody. And week one, we'll have to figure it out for ourselves just by watching who's actually making those calls uh, during the course of the game uh, via the telecast. But yeah. The point is that 
even if we know who's going to call the plays, that still doesn't tell us how much of a percentage of the playbook Kafka has had his hands in. Well, and that's why I think any team right now, especially if you're Tennessee, which is the first opponent for the Giants, they're probably going to look at, and I'm sure they've already started because teams get ahead of themselves in the offseason, a little bit of Buffalo's offense at Kansas City and expecting that there's going to be some mixing and matching because we also don't know, here's the other side of things, Paul, we don't know how much the preseason is really going to showcase in terms of influence. They're going to want to get these players prepared, but I think it's more of chemistry than really giving an idea of what the identity of your offense is going to be. I Most agree. teams do not dig that deep when it comes to the preseason. Lance, you and I are totally on the same page. I'm looking at the preseason because I want to see guys who are going to make the 53. I'd like to see some guys start to gel and play together, especially that offensive line. I'm on the record as saying they need to play a lot of snaps, but I'm not going to read anything into the playbook by virtue of what the Giants do during the preseason. I firmly expect that Kafka and Dable are going to use all dummy plays because they just want to see chemistry and they want to see guys who are going to follow directions and execute. I don't think they're going to use the preseason as sampling of plays to find out what works and what they can use. I truly believe that they are very, very much relying on the element of surprise in week one to see what they can do shocking all-wise to other teams' defenses. Speaking of change and how this scheme may appear to the naked eye, that brings me to two interesting statements that Kafka made in this article about him in The Athletic. First quote is the following, and this is with respect to what his philosophy is from an offensive standpoint with Daniel Jones and company. Quote, Jones loves having so much flexibility at the line of scrimmage with the protections, with checking stuff at the line of scrimmage, just with the ability to get on the same page with the receivers. Receivers have some flexibility with routes. You know he's going to be able to work in different voids and spaces. Then he goes on to say, quote, I'm not big on putting guys in a box, so I like giving them some freedom, giving them some baseline guidelines to work within, and then letting those guys work it out because at the end of the day, you know, I'm, say, I'm staying on the sideline. I'm in the press box or whatever it is, and those guys are the guys on the field. They got to go play, so they got to make sure that they're on the same page, end quote. And what he's basically saying is, don't misinterpret, first of all, that statement about the sideline and the press box. He was talking perspective about the fact that the offensive coordinator is not out there on the field with the players. That's what he was saying. He was right. not giving any indication. I just want to make that clear, Paul, before we discuss that, because I think people are going to read that and say, oh, well, maybe he's actually going to be up in the press box and he's absolutely calling plays. No, he was just saying, I'm not in the trenches with the players. So therefore, I want to give them the freedom and the flexibility that if a play comes in, whether it's from him or Brian Dable, that Daniel Jones has the ability to check out of it make a tweak because there are things that he may have not seen in the 20 seconds leading up to them walking to the line of scrimmage that the players do. So that's what he's indicating as opposed to where he's going to be located within the game. That's number one. But the big takeaway here is he clearly has had a lot of conversations with Daniel Jones, and he doesn't want it to be, this is the play, these are the routes you're going to run, and these are going to be the only options. It seems as if he wants to give the receivers as well as Daniel Jones an opportunity to adjust depending on what the defensive scheme presents. Well, I can add a little bit of, of light onto this scenario. Uh, it's usually very commonplace for quarterbacks to meet with the head coach or the offensive coordinator um, right away within the first 48 hours following a game as they prepare for the next game. And what will often happen, and I know this happens around the league, I, I, I can't specifically tell you what Dable and Kafka will do with Jones, but this often happens around the league. The game plan will go to the quarterback, the starting quarterback. He's the first one who gets to look at it once the coaches come up with it. They give the, coach, the, uh, the quarterback the game plan, and they have on that game plan that, that's presented to him uh, a list with preferences on it. And they will basically tell him, look, this is what we think we need to run against this team. These are our preferred plays. Now, you look at it. You go through it. Give me an order, 1 to 10, your preference 
from amongst the preferential plays that we have already detailed so that we have an idea of what you really want to run and what you really like to run, and you have an idea of what we think we need to run against this particular opponent. Now, in some instances, and again, this varies depending upon the coach and on the quarterback, when that paper comes back from the quarterback to the coaching staff, that quarterback's uh, rankings will then be significantly inputted into the play selections during the course of the week as they practice and as they play the game on Sunday. In other cases, the coach and the head coach will throw out maybe half of those plays and say, you know what, I know you really like those plays, but... Uh, we think the ranking has got to be a different way against this team, and they will go more with their influence on the play calling, and they will not disregard the quarterback's rankings, but they will kind of push the quarterback's rankings to the side a little bit, and they won't have as much influence in the game planning. Just to make fans aware of how this works. So I don't know what Dable, Kafka, and Jones will do, but I assume they will have a similar procedure and conversation. And how much will they give Jones input? I don't know the answer to that yet. Well, obviously, at some point, um, I may be able to find that out. But right now, um, there's there's really there's really nothing that that I could say to add to it other than to give you guys an idea of how this procedure potentially could work. That's why these conversations are important because Kafka indicated in the story, Lance, that he and Jones meet every day and talk about little things, idiosyncrasies, little details, things about plays he likes, things about plays he doesn't like. That's why this is important because the coordinator – and the head coach, and the quarterback, all have to have a tremendous amount of communication nonstop. And then it's up to the hierarchy to decide, again, how much power, how much influence they will give the quarterback. I add one other item to this. Kevin Gilbride, when he was coaching as the OC for Tom Coughlin with the Giants, he and Eli had a phenomenal relationship. Coughlin stayed out of Gilbride's hair when it came to calling plays. They would talk about what they wanted to do early in the week. Gilbride and Coughlin would go over it. I mean, uh, Gilbride and, uh, uh, yeah, they would go over it. Then Eli would get it. Eli would go over it with Gilbride. And then on game day, it was all up to Gilbride and to Eli. Now, why do I say both of them? Because Eli had the kind of freedom that Kafka is talking about giving Jones on game day. That's what he's talking about in this article. He's talking about audibles and giving Jones a lot of freedom. That's what Eli had from Gilbride on game day. But the other part to that equation is that Gilbride was extremely demanding of all the other skill position players. Because he said, listen, if I'm going to give the quarterback the kind of freedom that he wants, then all of you guys have to be on the same page with him. You need to know all the options that he's going to be able to go through. Because when he makes those decisions at the line, you all have to know all of the possible tentacles of the play. And there were receivers, and I'm not naming names, but you and I both know who some of them are, who had trouble with that. Because they couldn't get the whole playbook down. They couldn't understand all of it. They couldn't interpret some of that stuff on the field. And that's why sometimes there were miscommunications with Eli and his receivers. Because when you trust your quarterback to that degree, to have that much freedom, those receivers have to be on the same page with him. And so those are the two things that I take from what you selected out of that article. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs, 
Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, <laughs> hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got him. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, and there's other things that I want to get into. That was just, to me, a good starting point. That's also a reason why there is no generic answer when you talk about any offense and you say, I think a quarterback should always have the flexibility to call audibles at the line of scrimmage. It's not so simple. It depends on how much experience I think the quarterback has in the league. Now, you could argue Daniel Jones has a few seasons under his belt, so I think he understands the nuances of the game a little bit better than if this was he and Pat Shermer in 2019. So he's come a long way, I think, from that standpoint. But it's still a new scheme, and he's getting used to that. And then, to your point, it also depends on the experience – and the level of intellect with the personnel around the quarterback, the offensive linemen, the wide receivers, the running backs. If the quarterback is so savvy, like an Eli Manning, where he can make changes, he can read the defense, this and that, but if the other guys can't fall in line, there's no point of giving the quarterback that freedom. You got because it. Because you're going to hurt your offense in the long run. So those are the different areas that have to be explored. That's why when anybody talks about a young quarterback or a veteran quarterback and they say, It just doesn't appear as if the offensive coordinator of the scheme is giving this guy a lot of freedom. Well, there's other things that you may not know that may not be seen to the naked eye that the offensive coordinator, the head coach, is taking into consideration before he wants to open up Pandora's box. you got to be very cautious if you go down that road. Yeah, uh, and again, uh, I've only said it a billion times on this program. There are so many layers to the onion that have to be peeled back. It's why the National Football League is the greatest league and the greatest sport of any in the world because you have so many layers to the onion on every single decision that is made. It's just, it's fascinating, and I, and I can't get enough of it. So, but, but absolutely, Lance, you're, you're a thousand percent correct. And it's one of the reasons why you'll often hear coaches say, well, we wanted to draft smart players or instinctive players or guys who have a high football IQ or guys who are leaders, because they need to be able to mentally handle these aspects of the game. And that's why if you look at the Giants' personnel right now, I think Kafka's got to walk that very fine line, and perhaps six, seven weeks into the season, you would assume the comfort level is going to be better between the coaching staff, the quarterback, and the offensive personnel, because right now everybody is new to this offense, with the exception of a few guys. And once again, we don't know the level of influence on Kansas City side versus Buffalo side. So no. you could tell me, John Feliciano, who you brought up, Paul, okay, he's got some foundation, but if Kansas City's influence is outweighing Buffalo, then he's getting a taste of something that he has not been exposed to, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Or any other player that was brought over from the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs, who we've seen some guys that are tied into that organization. So I wouldn't make this random generic statement to say, well, you know, a lot of guys have connections to the previous team, so therefore it should be a smooth transition. No, this is a learning curve for everybody simultaneously growing together, and that's why I think good coaches, good coordinators have a good read on their team to determine this is when we accelerate things. This is when I let the players spread their wings a little bit more. This is now the time where I hold back. And I think right now Kafka is in sort of a wait-and-see process as he navigates those waters. The one good piece of news here is that Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, has already worked with John Feliciano. He's worked with Mark Lewinsky when he was with the Colts. He's also worked with Jameel Douglas, sure. uh, who, who had a, a pit stop with the Buffalo Bills. So at least from an offensive line perspective, if not, uh, you know, the full playbook, at least the trenches stuff, the basic stuff, the core technique stuff, 
you know, the O-line coach has some some pals, if you will, on that O-line who have been with him before, who can somewhat assist. That will make the O-line situation perhaps a bit easier. Other than that, though, there's nobody else on this offense that knows these guys. Well, but also, Paul, connected to what you're saying, and once again, I'm just throwing out a hypothetical situation. Andy Reid and Kafka may have had their offensive linemen do things technique-wise on certain plays that Buffalo did not, based on what Brian Dable was running. So there could be some fundamental tweaks on specific plays depending on what Kafka wants to run. There's certainly that possibility. I, I, I would think, though, with Bobby Johnson coming over from the Bills, I would think that most of the stuff in the trenches along that offensive front will probably be very, very, very heavily influenced by Buffalo. I don't think you're going to see many Kansas City items flavored along the offensive line. You may see it with the quarterback. You may see it with the skill positions in terms of some of those plays. But I pretty much would put a bunch of uh, carrots down that the offensive line stuff is probably coming out of Buffalo. That's why Bobby Johnson was brought here by Dable. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here, Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So this article did talk about the interaction that Daniel Jones and Mike Kafka have had on a daily basis since they joined forces with one another here with the New York Giants. And this was another notable quotation from the article with respect to what he's been doing with Daniel on a consistent basis. Quote, We watched all the fumbles, all the turnovers from Daniel, had an honest and open conversation about it. He understands what he needs to improve on in those certain situations. Then we go in with a plan as coaches. We have a plan that we go and work in practice. You see Coach Tierney, Shea Tierney, the QB coach, drilling that stuff every single day about ball security, about his position in the pocket, and where he fits and the timing and the rhythm that you got to play with as a quarterback, end quote. Now, this is not a stunning development. I think most good coaches who come into a new environment, they're going to look at previous film so that they have a starting point to tell the player, hey, these were some of the tendencies I saw what you ran with the previous coordinator, the previous offense. We got to shore them up. But we know, and Daniel Jones has made strides in this department, Paul, that has to be noted, but still, it's a cloud that has been hovering over his head with respect to fumbles and interceptions. And it seems as if, according to what Kafka told The Athletic, that that has been something that they've taken the time where they'll go back. I'm sure he didn't give an exact timeline, but I'm taking it that he's probably going back to turnovers throughout his entire career from 2019 to the present and using that as an example and analyzing and say, hey, this is what you could have done differently. Maybe throw the ball away, maybe slide, because those are key components. It's not just about did you make the wrong decision throw-wise. It also could be maybe the right decision would have been not even throwing the football, throwing it away, or or just giving up your body as opposed to going for the few extra yards. Look, you and I both have been through this. The bulk of Daniel Jones's turnovers are skewed to the first year and a half that he played. He has already done a very good job at reducing his interceptions. In fact, his interception percentage has gone down each and every year he has been in the league. His fumbles have gone down each and every year that he's been in the league. So, to be honest, I appreciate Kafka's efforts because you got to come in and you have to have a fresh start and you have to look at the player and his entire body of work and say, okay, this is what you've done so far in the NFL. Let's see what we can do to always make the situation better. But that's not a big deal to me because I see Daniel already have improving on both of those fumbles and picks throughout the course of his three-plus years with the Giants. So I I don't know that there's a whole ton more they can do to fix that because he's already done it. And I don't disagree with you. I just think that it's certainly a good exercise to get the perspective of somebody that has not been no around doubt. you. Right? Maybe they and, see the game a little bit and differently. And they may have other ways that he can exactly. cut the down, numbers down even further. And that's what I think maybe Kafka was getting at because Tierney and Kafka – They have not been around Daniel Jones. That's not to say that the previous coaches weren't emphasizing ball security. That's not what I'm trying to head in the direction of. But sometimes Kafka, who A, remember, here's the other thing, Paul. He played the quarterback position. And I think when you get a coach, we talked about this. If your offensive line coach actually played the position, sometimes the relation 
between the coach and the player is just a little bit different. Maybe it enters, okay, the ear, and then you digest it a little bit more because you respect the fact that, hey, the guy was battle-tested. He actually went through this. He understands that. There was actually, I don't know where it's from, so I don't want to give the source wrongly, but there was a conversation. I saw some clips. Eli Manning sat down with Cam Newton. I don't know if you saw what I'm talking about, Paul. They had a heart-to-heart conversation, and one of the things he brought up was the fact that, because Eli's obviously in the building now that he works for the team and has a role, that he's not pressuring Daniel Jones. They were also former teammates. They know each other, but he mentioned that passing. He's gone to Daniel and said, hey, Daniel, if you need somebody to talk to, if you want to just vent, I'm here for you because mm-hmm. I played the position. And a lot of other guys that maybe you talk to on a daily basis, they don't know what it's like to walk up to the line of scrimmage, be in the pocket. But I think Daniel, now that the fact that he's got a quarterback in his room, in Mike Kafka, helping orchestrate the offense, that's a little bit different now, once again, Jason Garrett played the position, too. I'm not saying that he's never had a quarterback. Don't misinterpret my words, but it's a different quarterback. Kafka sees the game not the same way that Jason Garrett. Kafka also is a much younger quarterback. Garrett played the game a while back. So I think it's a little bit different in terms of what these new voices are going to bring to the table. I would have no argument with that. And that's why I think some of these exercises are interesting to look at what the coaching staff has to say as well as some of the former players had to say. So that's some of the highlights from this athletic article that was written about Mike Kafka and his transition to becoming Giants OC. We're going to open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. few reminders here first. Giants season tickets, they're on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat Starting at just $100, call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925. For this one, you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We have Sean in Maryland, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sean? What's going on, guys? Um, I'm glad you guys opened the show with discussing the play calling uh, process. Um, something that I noticed last year, and I never mentioned on the show, but uh, I ref uh, football, and when you ref, you kind of look at the game a bit different. And one thing I noticed was, and last year, in between uh, the play calling, too often you would see the Giants still in a huddle with 10 seconds left on a game clock. I mean, a play clock. And I'm like, guys, you have to break the huddle. Get out there. Give Daniel Jones the opportunity to read the defense or possibly call an audible. And throughout the year, you can just see – how the offense are just rushing to get to the line with three seconds left and they're hurrying up to to make a call or on top of that they don't have enough time to set up so they'll call a timeout and burn their timeout so they don't avoid a delay game penalty but i think if we give dale jones the opportunity to get on the line to move some people in motion to possibly call some audibles i think that will help him tremendously and that's something like that's a, a factor of the game that a lot of people don't notice. And especially when they're watching the film, a lot of those film is edited because they don't want to waste the time. They just want to go to each play. But in between plays is a major factor. And I think uh, Jones was, was handicapped by giving the opportunity to read defense. If he's so smart, let the guy go out there and, and make the decisions. And I think that would be uh, very helpful for the team. What do you guys think? Well, I think something that Kafka said in this story actually in a roundabout way addresses what you're talking about. And let me read you a quote, and I think you'll, you'll get the point here. Kafka says, I learned from Coach Reed that he did a great job at, uh, he was always, I think he did a great job at, was he always had enough explosives, enough stuff to take advantage of a defense and really make them think about it, whether it was a formation, a shift, a motion, a play design. Kafka continues, quote, there was always something that the defense definitely hadn't seen in their breakdown that you know really would force the defense to communicate. Now, why do I bring this up now? Because I believe that the Giants offense 
did not do enough to impose their will on defenses. I think that's part of what you're talking about. They did too much reaction. I think what you want to do, and Bill Parcells would always tell me this back in the 80s. Bill would always say, what you want to do, you want to dictate the game. You want the game to be played like you want it to be played. You must establish the tempo and impose your will on the opposition, on both offense and defense. You want them reacting to you. You want them thinking about what it is that you're going to do to them instead of the other way around. And I think if you've looked at the Giants' offense in, in recent times, there were too many times that they were, the, they were the, the, the reaction instead of the one who was enforcing their will on the others. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about because when you spend a ton of time in a huddle and then you get up to the line, now you're making adjustments based on what the defense is showing you, not necessarily in an attacking way. It's more of it's almost a defensive way if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and too often last year, he didn't have enough time to make any moves because the clock was at two. I absolutely so concur with you. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. concur with you. And so this is a very interesting dynamic here we're talking about, how Kafka takes from Reed the fact that he always wants to have something on the field that's going to cause the defense to think and react every time you come out of the huddle. I think that is a very aggressive concept. And if you've got the defense thinking and reacting and trying to figure out what it is that you're doing and trying to figure out how they can set up things just before the snap to stop you, well, you know what that means? They're probably on their heels. And now you can do damage to them. So I think this quote in a roundabout way kind of comes back to some of what you're talking about and can make the Giants a much more potent attack. And a few other things that come to mind with respect to what you're talking about, Sean. There was actually, I think it was a play, I want to say against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe it was actually, coincidentally, Kansas City. But the Giants were trying to convert a third down. And I think Daniel Jones, I want to say it was to Sterling Shepard, Paul, maybe you recall. And he was short of the chains. And if you go back and you look at that play, Daniel doesn't get the ball off until maybe like one second right. on the play clock. And that, to me, contributed to why the execution was not exactly where mm -hmm. it needed to be. And there were a few other examples. I think part of that, that's contributed based on sometimes you're substituting personnel. If you go back and you look, personnel's late getting in or there's indecisiveness. Part of that is just the quickness of, hey, you got tackled, run back to the line of scrimmage, start up the process. The convolutedness of the play and whether or not Daniel is giving it to the team. I think there's a lot of factors. I don't think there's necessarily one thing in particular that came back to bite them, but I'll give you another example, and this is unrelated to the Giants, and maybe this is something that other offensive linemen should look into. And, Paul, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Corey Lindsley, who is the Chargers center, and Sean, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for joining us here, who joined the Chargers from the Packers. If you notice, I don't think there's other offensive linemen that do this every time he gets in the huddle and I've had him on my serious show he's talked about this he will face Paul the defense meaning they're giving the play in the huddle but he's not facing the huddle mm -hmm. he is actually still looking at the defense and the reason he says he does that is he wants to get a head start on the alignment the personnel that's in so that by the time they snap or put the football down I should say he already has surveyed the field and he's a little bit ahead of his teammates because the center obviously is in charge of snapping the ball to whether it be Aaron Rodgers Justin Herbert and I'm just I'm surprised that other offensive linemen and maybe there are I just I don't know off the top of my head I just know because Corey's talked about this and if you look there's visual evidence to support this that other offensive linemen maybe can be a bridge to the quarterback while the quarterback is so involved in getting the play in that if they keep their eyes on what the defense is doing, by the time they walk to the line of scrimmage, maybe there's something that the center or another offensive lineman could give the quarterback because he's already taken an extra five to six seconds where the quarterback wasn't looking at the field. Like Justin Herbert needs any help. <laughs> well, of course. And Aaron Rodgers, you could say the same thing. Corey played with Aaron yeah. for all those years. It's just, once again, sometimes little things like that, my point is, I'm can with go you. a long way. I, Lance, I am all for finding whatever idiosyncrasy 
ways you can to give yourself an advantage. Any detail that you can come up with that will give you one up on your opponent is a worthy detail. I add one other thing, and this is not an excuse, but it is something that I was well aware of during the course of last season. The whole headset problem. It is true. I knew this before it even came out when uh, when Coach Judge had talked about it. Uh, there were a number of games last year where the Giants had significant communication problems with their headsets. And that obviously, on more than one occasion, did impede their ability to get plays in properly, to get them in quickly, and to make the offense function with a better tempo. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that's the primary reason, but I know that was a contributor in some way, shape, and form, and God knows I hope they don't have that issue this year. Well, and that's more of a reason why you have to find other ways, I think, to communicate, and there's a lot of other factors that go into why some of the plays got off late because you can never anticipate when technological issues are going to arise. If you remember, you know, that was a situation that forced them to go into the walkie-talkie situation, Mm -hmm. one of the games, where they had issues and they made sure that the NFL was aware of that. That happened with Coach McAdoo actually a couple of years earlier. Exactly. Yeah, so there are glitches that come up, and my reaction to that would be, and this would be for every team, I think that you should always just like, hey, if you ask NASA, right, or some of these other technological savvy companies and industries, they always have ways to circumvent technological issues. So it's no different than in the NFL. You've got to have the Armageddon game plan, Paul, where if, God forbid, the headsets go, what's another way that we could get the play in, whether it's a number system with hand, things like that. So this way, it's a smooth transition. You always need to plan accordingly for that. So this way, you don't have to go through a game where it's the third quarter and nobody knows what the hell's going on because they're all looking at each other since they have no way to communicate. It always comes down to this. Parcells always used to tell us this. My job as the head coach is to put my players in the best position possible to give them a chance to win. And whatever detail you have to come up with that's going to help your guys, you better come up with it. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. Brandon is in New Jersey, and he joins us. What's happening, Brandon? Hey, Lynn. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Hi. Uh, You're right. Usually when I call in, I like to speak X's and O's, but of course we're in off-season. Not a lot of that to be speaking about at the moment. So I have two uh, off-season, super off-season questions, a little more fun. Uh, so it's mostly about, you know, in college, it's a big business these days. These guys are a lot of times media trained by the time they get to the NFL. Obviously, they all do a similar media training because you get a lot of the same answers league-wide across every platform, really, the same kind of answers. And uh, one of them drives me crazy, though. And it's uh, when they're always asked about one of their teammates, it's always that this guy's got a dog mentality, right? Problem is, like, I have dogs. Uh, I don't know if dogs are the greatest, have the greatest mentality for a football player. They're kind of dumb. They're squirrel-minded. I give an example. My neighbors, my mailman, comes out in his normal outfit. Dog's cool. Comes out of his uniform. It's a problem. I, I don't know if you need that inconsistency as a football player. So uh, my quick question to you guys is, what is a better animal that you would describe or want as a football player, like the mentality? For me, like if I was talking about defense, I think I want my defense to work like a pack of hyenas, you know? I want my offense to be more like hippos, just big and mean. You can't get near them. You know what I mean? Those are much better animals, I think. And so for you guys, I was just wondering, did you guys have any other animals that, that have the traits or that you look for in a football player? I know Paul, but like hog molly. So I, I imagine like big rhinos or you know what I mean? Not dogs. So uh, that was my one of them. You know? Well, certainly outside the box. Well, why don't you give us the other one? We'll have some time to think and digest where we want okay. to go with that. My yeah. other one is, again, another media question, and it's, uh, it's more about a story I heard about LT, which made me think about this, but they always say, it's always asked, like, oh, what kind of guy is this guy? Oh, he's the first one in, last one out. Oh, I mean, if everybody is first one in, last one out, that either means you all show up together or you never leave. I don't you all can't be first one in, last one out. However, one of the things nobody ever speaks about is, like, LT, I want to know, like, it, like being the last one in, first one out, but definitely last one in. Sometimes that, that says more about the players than 
like a negative. Like for instance, the story I heard about LT was Bill Parcell was super. He was before Tom Coughlin. He was super. It was super important about being time, like time management and being on time, the meetings and all of that was super important to Bill Parcells. Except for when it came to LT, if he showed up late, we just didn't start the meeting. Right. So I was wondering on this team, do you think there's a player that has enough maybe credibility, if you will, or just uh, um, leadership qualities that like if they showed up late to a meeting, it's not, well, let's dock him or find him or whatever. It's now we just don't start the meeting until this guy gets here. And if you had to put money on it, who would be that player for you guys? Like the one that could show up to a late to a meeting and we're just not going to start the late uh, the meeting until they get here. You know what I mean? All right, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly have right. given us some things to think about. We know it's definitely the heart of the offseason when we get questions like that oh, and appreciate the phone call. Indeed. Well, first of all, Lawrence Taylor was a once-in-a-generational type of player. And when you have that skill set, clearly there's going to be some leeway knowing what that player can do and how much of an impact. I don't think there is any Lawrence Taylor on this roster right now. I think this roster is extremely young. There's no young. Lawrence Taylor on anybody's well, roster, Well, of course, Lance. no, but what I'm saying is I wouldn't there's even go— There's only one LT. Well, but what I'm saying is I don't even think there's a player that is even in the conversation of leeway that I would go out of my way to say, okay, hey, we can move on or we can't move on unless this player is here. There's nobody on this roster that I would label because, once again, I think the bulk of this roster is young. And some of these guys are still very unproven. And even some of the veterans are nowhere near Lawrence Taylor as game-changing plays on every single time the ball is snapped. There's nobody in the league that is in Lawrence Taylor's class. No, but there's other blank, players. There no, never but, will be. Well, I understand that, Paul. I'm not going to go to that extreme. But there's other players. If you were to give me another team, I would say there maybe would be a player to say, hey, we can't start the meeting right now because what he does is so critical to what we want to run. I would go that far. I just wouldn't say that necessarily they're Lawrence Taylor. Well, maybe there are, but not if I'm the head coach. I'll tell you that right now. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. If I was to throw out the Green Bay Packers, you wouldn't say Aaron Rodgers is at that level in terms of that's maybe, a guy that maybe, maybe we're going to wait on things? Maybe he is to some people, but there are some head coaches who will say nobody's above the team, and that's the philosophy that I come from. In fact, to be honest with you. So wait a minute, hold Lawrence, on. Be wait, before you go, that means you disagree with the Bill Parcells philosophy a little bit Bill, in terms of waiting for Lawrence Bill, Taylor. Then. Let me tell you, well, the, 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 the statement is not 100% accurate. Okay, I, I, I live the Parcells regime, and there were times when Lawrence was asleep in meetings, when Lawrence did not come on time to meetings. The statement is not 100% accurate. They did not hold up meetings for Lawrence all the time. That's incorrect. So... To be honest, the entire premise that he presented to you is not good enough to demand a response. Okay, but there were certainly exceptions. There may have been some times. There may have been. I don't know of any specific times. I do know of times when Lawrence was there late. I know of times when Lawrence didn't show for a meeting. I know of times when Lawrence f flat out fell asleep in the meetings. I have a bunch of stories that I well, cannot tell you on this microphone well, about I, those listen, times. I'm not going to give stories, but I've had conversations with Leonard Marshall, and he's told me stories involving LT. So, I well, mean, clearly there's tons of those examples. There are yeah. thousands of them, actually. But uh, to, to say that Parcells had this rule that the meeting doesn't start till LT gets there, that's not true. Therefore, the question is rather moot. Well, but I think he was sort of thinking outside the box. So I think you and I both agree. I don't think there's anyone on the Giants roster, though. If we're to operate under the premise, Paul, that there is leeway given to a player, okay? Let's not associate Lawrence Taylor. My response would be, I don't think there's anyone currently on the Giants roster that I would entertain the idea of saying we have no. to stop things until the player shows up. I concur. That was my main takeaway from that the part. question. Yes. And I okay. concur with that part, yes. Now, from the first statement about the animals and oh, the cliches. Well, see, this is right up your alley. Normally, you go to animals? food. Animals? No, no, you food go to is food. up no, my but alley. You like, you like yes. analogies, though. I love you food love analogies. Stuff. I don't love okay. animal analogies. So the caller is testing you a little bit. He's seeing whether or not. You could go. Do you want me to go first? Because I have sure, one animal. Sure. Okay, what fine. kind of I'll animal would you like idea. on your football? Yes, okay. What, what well, animal would you like on your football? And I'm team? taking this question way too literally. So we're going to have some fun with it. Yes. Number the first animal. If we're talking about offensive linemen and smarts of an animal, an elephant is what I want with respect to my offensive lineman or any player. Here's why: elephants don't forget. 
Okay? Correct. Make sure you remember that statement. I want an animal that's not going to forget. Because if you remember, the caller was using the mailman situation with the dog when the mailman wears the uniform versus where he does it. Well, if I have an elephant, the elephant's going to be able to recognize the pass rusher, whether or not he's wearing red, blue, green, you name it. Doesn't matter. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that I want in terms of my offensive lineman. And the other animal that was coming to mind was what about a fox? Since foxes are sly and sneaky, I think that would be an interesting animal to maybe have for a wide receiver or a running back, an elusive type of guy, somebody that can adjust on the fly. So the fox is the other animal that came to mind right. in addition to the elephant. I will go back to my days with Parcells and George Young. George Young always used to talk, call his offensive linemen dancing bears. <laughs> okay. So if George called them bears, uh, bears is good enough for me because you guys know how I feel about George Young, who's in the Hall of Fame. So I'll stick with that in, in reverence to George. Uh, defense? I don't know. How about a rabid coyote? A rabid coyote? <laughs> what are you, running scientific experiments with animals? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm assuming that a rabid coyote will be relentless. He will be uh, fight you to the death. And um, we'll we'll have the athleticism and the speed to uh, to flag you down. So how about how about a rabid coyote? How about that? Something tells you you've been reading some children's books lately. The tale of the rabbit and the coyote. I feel as if that has been on your mind as of late. We okay. get asked ridiculous questions. You're going well, to get go. ridiculous well, answers. Listen, it, during the course of the offseason, we can have a little bit fun. Yes, we it's, can. I understand. You know what the premise was, but this was one of my other main takeaways from what the last caller was saying. Imagine I think people who have listened to this show for the first time today. They will never come back, Lance. Well, <laughs> hey, in fairness, the first 25 <laughs> minutes of this show was us breaking down the scheme for the Giants. So, okay, okay we're allowed. To to loosen up a little oh, bit. I would say that maybe if that listener is tuning us off, hey, more power to them, but I would say that they don't maybe have a sense it's, of humor. It's mid-June. Okay? Mid yeah, yes. exactly. See, well Pe said, Pearson. Pe Pearson's like, I, you know, I don't think I've seen him laugh this hard since the last uh, Frank Caliendo special. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. <laughs> well, hey, you don't want to give away too much, Paul, okay, in terms of you know, what you tune into. Go here ahead. People will then truly make judgments. No, I thought what the last caller had mentioned was something that I actually preach and it's the fact that you can only read so much into what press conferences unveil. That's what I thought he was going towards. I know mm -hmm. he made it a little bit more colorful with the animals and some of these other cliches, but I don't read so much into what a player or a coach is going to say about other players or other coaches because very rarely, Paul, especially in this day and age where social media puts everything under the microscope, is another player going to throw a teammate under the bus? And is a coach going to throw a number of guys under the bus? So I think it was actually on a previous show we had somebody call in and say that Wink Martindale had mentioned something about he really likes the personnel. Actually, that was Monday show, Paul. I believe you were on with me. Right. And my response was, well, do you really think Wink is going to get in front of a podium and start saying, I like eight guys on the defense and seven I could live without and I would love to replace not. them. So that's what I thought the caller was getting at, which is, yes, I would agree. There are a lot of people that use trite phrases, cliched lines, and there's a lot of people that take the bait and they run with it. So I think you got to be cautious and optimistic at the same time where you got to have some things go in one ear and out the other and others say, okay, I understand where he's coming from, but it doesn't mean that I got to run to the bank and all of a sudden try to cash it in. No, I, and, and that's fine. And, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I, I guess the one thing that we all have to do when it comes to public quotes from coaches, players, front office people, we all have to be able to sift through them and say, okay, we understand that there are stock quotes there are things that any responsible guy will say and will not say. And then somehow, some way, we have to be able to differentiate, all right, this has some substance to it, and maybe the coach or the player or the front office guy 
really means this particular part of what he's saying because he does have strong belief. I mean, look, a coach or a player or a front office guy can praise a, a, a guy on his roster and he can really mean it. Sure. it. It doesn't always have to be lip service. That's fair. No. So we have to somehow try to identify those times when he really is supporting a player who he thinks deserves that kind of praise. But I guess what I'm saying is is that when you look at a question and your takeaway is, wow, this coach is coming off as very positive about every single personnel and looking at it through that lens. That's a good attitude to have. Don't get me wrong. And at least for the sake of the Giants, if we're applying it to the Giants, I'm speaking more in generic terms, mm-hmm. all of these coaches are getting used to these players. The relationship is still being built. So why would you come in with a negative no, connotation about anybody, right? Yeah, so I don't think any of that is just smoke being blown out. But what I'm saying is, is that in fairness, you also have to understand, even if they have their doubts about somebody, they're not going to throw that player out there so that the media can all of a sudden, like a hyena, okay, which was another animal brought up on Mm -hmm. this program, can now feast at the expense of the player because good coaches also know how to protect players. And if you remember, Joe Judge, okay, he would come out and he would basically, he told the media this. So it wasn't anything to interpret. He said, and this was with respect to Evan Ingram, there were a lot of questions about him and players that were dealing with injuries or maybe getting crucified or criticized in the media. He would say, guys, listen, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm not going to criticize them. That's who I am as a coach. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to protect my guys. And I respect that attitude because, once again, I think in those situations, you're just throwing gasoline onto the fire. And you're basically, you're giving individuals who have certain narratives exactly what they want. So there's no win-win situation from Mm -hmm. that standpoint. It doesn't pay off in the end, Paul. No, of course not. I mean, look, especially today, anything that you say that could be interpreted as negative against one of the guys on your roster, and quite frankly, even if it's interpreted as lukewarm, like you said, they will all run like hyenas. They're going to click the Twitter. They're going to go to that player. And they're going to do everything they can to turn that into a firecracker. That's just the way it is. And it stinks that it's got to be that way, but that's the way it is today. Yeah. And so, you know, honesty is in any way, shape, or form, uh, if, it, if it has any lukewarm or potentially hot connotations, it won't be taken at face value as honesty. It's going to be something that will, will turn into a volcanic eruption that's then going to be a distraction for your team. And then how do you feel that you've basically given the media the match to start something? Yeah, you've been at the center of it. And I love candid talk. I yearn for candid talk and everything. I feel we should all do that. But I think a coach, it's very hard for a coach to be candid in today's era because of everything that is constantly put out there the minute the word is said and things are taken out of context. So that's why I said if a coach doesn't want to give you everything, he may give you snippets, you understand why he's doing that because he's sort of playing the game, and he has to play the game that way. For you fans out there, the most honest thing that you could hear a coach or a front office guy or a GM, anybody who's in charge of a team, the most honest thing you could ever hear them say when they're criticizing something that their team did is when they just say, we. We needed to do a better job of moving the ball downfield. We needed to do a better job of running the ball. We needed to uh, to find a better way to grind it out inside the 20-yard line. That That's what I personally, if I were, if I were advising anybody who was in charge of a team, how they would be honest and be able to reflect and evaluate accurately and yet not cause a volcanic eruption that's going to wind up distracting everybody, I would can just continue to use the word we. We, we needed to do better on that. You know, we, everything, we, the play call, the execution of the call, the situation, we just needed to find a better way. And just just accept it as a team failure. That's the easiest way to do it without starting a, a commotion. Well, and the reason why, once again, we're going down this road is because of the conversation that we had earlier. But how many times, Paul, have you heard on a related note here, and I chuckle after we have a game 
and then we have the pressers, and then the conversation following the pressers normally revolves around, I wish the coach would have said this. I wish the player would have said this, or I wanted the player to say that. And first of all, you can't jump into their heads and expect them to follow the script you want. That's number one. But number two, based on what we're saying, I think in their minds, they also understand they've got to be careful where they go because more often than not, it'll be misinterpreted. And then you're not having dialogue about the game anymore. You're having dialogue about, is the locker room on the same page? Mm-hmm. Do these two players have a good relationship? Is there bad blood between the coach and the player? Meaning you're taking a story that should have been about maybe a third down during the course of a game or a touchdown that went wrong, whatever it may be. And now the topic is not even about the game Oh, anymore, now it's the players right? are going to have a mutiny against the coach. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I know. Look, there is no place, folks, just so you understand, there is no place that things are taken out of context more than on Twitter. And part of that is also because of the limitation on characters. You don't even have the ability to write the full context, even if you wanted to, given the limitations. That's the other problem, which is the format of social media, Paul. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. So, you know, there's a lot of different layers to this, and I know this is, you know, a little bit outside of the X's and O's box, but, hey, the Giants, because of some of their struggles in recent seasons, it has become a lot about pressers as opposed to what's on the field. And I don't think a lot of people take the time to actually have conversations on what actually goes into the minds of these players and the coaches and the fine line that they have to walk. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. This is Wednesday's edition as we have been discussing a variety of topics, but the framework, in case you're just joining us on today's show, was an athletic article, which was really a feature on Mike Kafka, his background, the influence of Andy Reid, the level of interaction that he's having with Daniel Jones. And you actually read one of the quotes earlier in the show about the influence, Paul, and I think there's a good way to come full circle on the subject that Andy Reid has had on Mike Kafka. And the reason I want to bring this up is whenever a coach leaves the security of the mentor, you always wonder, and it's fair to question, was that a product, the level of success that happened in Kansas City, was that more of a product of Andy Reid being the overseer, or is it the fact that the staff overall did a nice mix and match, and that was a big reason why the team had success. And sometimes you don't realize that until one of the individuals leaves and whether or not he could go out on his own and then duplicate that success. Now, in fairness, Kafka's not bringing Patrick Mahomes with him, just like Brian Dable's not bringing Josh Allen. (laughs) So you have to at least understand that. But I think one of the things that Kafka brought up was, and this holds true for any coaches, they are heavily influenced by the individuals that they work for in previous stops, whether it be at the college level, whether it be on the NFL level. You just wonder... Okay, now all of a sudden they're in the decision-making seat. Okay, you can't now, Paul, you can't get on the headset and go, hey, Andy, what do you think? (laughs) You now have to make the decision. I think that says an awful lot about a coach, and that's why when we have conversations about, well, it's a first-time offensive coordinator, and you'd like a guy with a little bit more experience. Well, hold on a minute. How's the guy supposed to gain experience if you never throw him into the deep end, right? You got to take the swimmies off. So here's now Kafka's first opportunity He can't now rely on or be a consultant or a QB coach. He's got to now get thrown into the deep end. And how he responds without having the mentor around him, I think is going to also say a lot about who Mike Kafka is as a coach and a coordinator. You know, Lance, I know a lot of people disagree with me, and I think you're one of them who who believes that because Dable was brought down here with a propensity for offensive play that he should call the plays. I actually think, not only do I think the other way, I think it's actually going to go the other way with the Giants because Kafka has been calling all of the plays during the spring practice sessions, and Dayball has simply been sitting back and watching and evaluating and going over things from afar, but he's allowed Kafka to do all of it. And when Kafka was asked about this, Kafka said, well, yeah, you know, whatever he wants to do is fine with me. I've been calling him now. Of course, every offensive coordinator would like to call their own plays. And he was asked that specific question. Right. But whatever they decide for the season, you know, will, will be. And he's okay with it. Well, I think what you just said is exactly why I think Kafka is going to start out calling the plays. Because Dable is giving Kafka the freedom now during this offseason 
in his first months away from Andy Reid the opportunity to spread his wings, flex his muscles, and let's see what you can do swimming in the big boys pool right now. And I think that's why Dable's doing it, because he doesn't want to go into the season holding Kafka's hand. He's letting him call the plays now because I think he's going to give Kafka the first shot to call the plays when the season starts. And I and I applaud him. I think that's the way it's going to go. Um, and, 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 you know, if it goes the other way, fine. Then simply put, then Dable had a second uh, a change of thought. But I think the evidence to me leans more towards Kafka will start the season as the play caller. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that game plan makes sense. And remember, the whole part of this conversation with respect to philosophy you were accurate in saying that I disagree from the standpoint that I have no problem a coach balancing both during the course of a game but I also have no problem if Dable is a first-time head coach says I don't want to balance both and I want to give Kafka an opportunity to call plays I have no problem with that I don't think that's a bad decision it's just my framework of my belief is if you got the job because of what you did at a previous place because of your offensive philosophy or defensive philosophy which coincides with calling plays during a game and I think you would agree with me Paul calling plays is an art Mm-hmm. There's a skill to that. Sure it is. There's a tempo to that. You can't just hand anybody a list of plays and say, go out and call plays. There's an ability to read the defense, have a good read on what your players can run effectively. So Dable's been there. He's done that. That's a big reason why Buffalo had success. Why would I then want to take that power away from him? If the coach chooses to go in a different direction, hey, that's his prerogative. But I'm coming in with saying the attractiveness is Brian. You got to this point to be a strong coaching candidate because of what you did as a play caller and running the scheme. I would like to maybe see you do that elsewhere. That's where at least I stand with respect to my philosophy. And that's fine. We're on opposite ends of that spectrum, but there's no right or wrong answer. I think the other piece of evidence that indicates Kafka will get that call is because he's the one who's meeting with Daniel Jones every single day. They're going over the plays. They're going over techniques. They're going over the details. It seems to me that Dable is having Kafka do that because that's a relationship that they're trying to cement as quickly as possible because that's going to be the guy that Daniel's going to rely on to call the plays. So between that piece of evidence and information and then the other thing that I mentioned about giving uh, Kafka freedom to spread his wings now. Those two things are are pieces of evidence for me that indicate Dable will let Kafka do it. And that makes sense. Yeah. No, I'm completely with you. One last thing I just wanted to add is also a good coach, a head coach specifically, a big part of the skill set is being able to delegate responsibilities. And I think Dable at least understands that. And it goes back to my idea that Kafka eventually has to call plays if he's going to truly branch out into an offensive coordinator. I think Dable understands that because remember, Dable wore many different hats as an assistant. He started out on the defensive side of the ball. So I think Brian understands in order to be a good coach, you need to be well-rounded. You need to allow guys to do their thing. So I think while I would agree with your takeaway that maybe that is an inkling that Kafka will call plays, I also think Brian at the same time understands if I'm going to develop players, I also need to develop coaches. And in order to develop coaches, I can't hover over them and micromanage them. So that's another way that I would read into why he's having Kafka handle a lot of the meetings during the course of the offseason. It's going to be fun finding out. I'll tell you that. It will be. Absolutely. Well, this was certainly a fun conversation based on what Mike Kafka had to say. Appreciate everybody tuning in, and we will continue the conversation into Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com. Lance, before we kick it out, we have to let people know that Friday's show will be canceled. Uh, The office is closed. The Giants' offices are closed on Friday uh, to observe uh, Juneteenth. And so there will be no show on Friday, but uh, the show will return. Of course, it will be here tomorrow on Thursday, then off on Friday, and the show comes back on Monday of next week. 
you beat me to the announcement. I was going to save I'm that sorry. for tomorrow. No, it's okay. <laughs> I was going to save that for tomorrow's show to make sure people. I'm did giving tune them an early Friday. heads up. You know, well, I know you're giving them an early heads up. That, that's fine. We'll reinforce it. Okay, so we're giving you a tease to what we're going to essentially there see tomorrow go. as well. There, there you, you go. go. All right, now we can finally wrap up shop. Appreciate everybody tuning in for Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Then we'll speak to you on Thursday's edition right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.